1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. for 2.0 or the Russians. Front groups, sock puppets, and false flags. U.S. investigation into jihadist chatter surrounding the Orlando massacre proceeds cautiously. Drydex said to be present in networks hit by SWIFT-related bank fraud. Angler seems as gone for good as threats ever are in cyberspace, but it's got several successors. Boards and CEOs' responsibilities for breaches, notes on rejected M&A suitors, and the DOJ doesn't think much of the Silk Road appeal. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, June 20th, 2016. The DNC hacker or hackers remains or remain elusive. Guccifer 2.0 released Democratic Party donor lists late last week and also emails purporting to show long-standing DNC preference for the party's presumptive nominee. Like the earlier opposition research on the Republicans' presumptive nominee, none of this information is as surprising as some of the shocked, shocked reactions to the hack would have it. WikiLeaks, whose Julian Assange is no friend of the presumptive Democratic nominee, says it's received more documents from the DNC compromise and that these show how the primary process was manipulated. Whether that amounts to more than an expression of DNC preferences remains to be seen. Attribution remains controversial. Guccifer 2.0 has maintained that he or she or they is not the Russian government. There are clues and leaked material pointing to Russian speakers, but they aren't dispositive. And Russian speaking needn't mean the Russian government. There's a community of Russian speakers about 15 miles south-southwest of us, for example, that has nothing to do with the Russian government. And our editor said loudly he'd bet a month's pay they've got nothing to do with this hack either. Some outlets have accepted at face value Guccifer 2.0's claims to be an independent, disinterested hacktivist, with the British magazine Computing going so far as to characterize the episode as an embarrassment for CrowdStrike, the firm whose investigation fingered the Russian government. But CrowdStrike has been standing by its attribution of the attack to the probable work of the FSB and GRU. They note, as do others, that Guccifer 2.0 could easily be a false flag for the Russian intelligence services, and others have been commenting on the very long record of provocation by Russian security services, more than a century extending through the Soviet era and back to the czars. An op-ed by Immunity CEO Dave Itell running in Ars Technica bluntly dismisses the idea that a lone hacker breached the DNC as not believable, and says, quote, the DNC hack and dump is what the cyber war looks like, end quote. He argues that elections should be regarded as off-limits as much as critical infrastructure, and says the episode should serve as a test case for how the U.S. will respond to a cyber attack by a nation state. Some of these observers are arguing that the group operating as the cyber-caliphate is also a Russian front group, although ISIS sympathizers calling to one another online and committing low-grade cyber-vandalism would hardly seem to require or indeed use such support or coordination. Jihadist chatter surrounding the Orlando massacre remains under very cautious investigation in the U.S. The gunmen used Facebook during both the run-up to the shooting and during the massacre itself, which has drawn some criticism toward Facebook. Most observers regard this as unfair, noting that Facebook has long had a fairly effective policy against terrorist content in place, and pointing out the difficulty of interdicting such content in near real time. The FBI has attracted similar criticism, and here observers have again drawn attention to the tension between surveillance and civil liberties. Transcripts of shooter Mateen's 911 calls are expected to be made public by the Justice Department later today, but U.S. Attorney General Lynch has said they'll be redacted to excise Mateen's pledge of allegiance to ISIS. The reason offered for the redaction is official U.S. unwillingness to spread ISIS propaganda. The DAO, that's the Decentralized Anonymous Organization Fund, has been attacked, and public blockchain platform Ethereum has lost some 50 million dollars in cryptocurrency. The funds that were drained – they're called Ether in the cryptocurrency subculture – can't be used for almost a month, however, and an attempted rollback will serve as a test case for blockchain's self-healing abilities. We caught up with the University of Maryland's Jonathan Katz this morning and asked him about this particular caper and technology behind blockchain. We'll hear from him after the break. While most speculation about the Bangladesh bank hack and other swift-linked fraud have centered on North Korean Lazarus Group code found in the affected systems, the presence of Drydex leads others to suspect Russian gang involvement. Elsewhere in cybercrime, after having vanished for a couple of weeks, the Angler exploit kit really does seem to have departed the scene. Malwarebytes has been reviewing what post-Angler cybercrime looks like. Neutrino is the number one replacement, followed by Rig, Magnitude, and Sundown. Magnitude is being seen in what Malwarebytes sniffs are low-quality campaigns. Sundown, a newcomer and something of a dark horse, is appearing in malvertising campaigns. A parliamentary committee in the UK that's been looking into the talk-talk hack and other incidents suggests that CEOs whose companies are hacked should have their pay docked, so Baroness Harding might well look to her purse. That boards and executives have become markedly more attentive to cybersecurity seems, however, beyond dispute. We spoke with Bay Dynamics founder and CTO Ryan Stolte about this issue, and he shared the results of Bay Dynamics' study of board involvement with cyber.
2: Board of directors are accountable for setting the risk appetite for an organization, whereas senior executives will actually run the company. And what was interesting is if you look at cyber risk in comparison to other types of risk like financial risk regulatory risk com- competitive risk and legal risk cyber risk was rated actually a bigger concern for board of directors um, and it was just slightly bigger than these but these are the standard you know pillars of risk that any company faces financial risk is obviously the of key importance but regula- regulatory risk Legal risk, competitive, etc. Um, those are the things that'll that'll make or break an organization. So to see that the board of directors is considering cyber uh, risk at or above the level of concern of those other uh, prominent risk factors or, or risk conversations was was uh, surprising to me and very positive. and And I think that uh, the the outcome of that is that, that was a, a major shift in the market out there, and I think a critical shift in order for us to get ahead of the cybersecurity challenges that we face. And I think that conversation has shifted from maybe it'll happen and I hope it doesn't happen to me and and, and we've transitioned into we're definitely under attack, we understand that, and we need to provide great care for the cybersecurity challenge.
1: The report also revealed that boards are demanding an ever-increasing level of communication skills from their company's leadership. 59%
2: of the board members said that if we don't get high-quality information uh, from our cybersecurity leadership, they may be terminated. And it's, you know, the analogy that that we'll make is imagine if your your chief financial officer walked into a boardroom and had inconsistent presentations, inconsistent numbers, um, they were incomplete or didn't make sense, they'd probably be walked straight out of the room. You want uh, the, the means of communication, how the numbers are reported, to be consistent and understandable and tell a story. And if the cybersecurity leadership is not able to do that, more than half of them are saying that the cybersecurity leadership will lose their job.
1: That's Ryan Stulte from Bay Dynamics. You can read the report on their website. In other industry news, CRN reports that much-admired unicorn Tanium rejected acquisition bids from both VMware and Palo Alto networks. The Motley Fool looks at another company that turned down acquisition bids, FireEye, and says there were two rejected suitors, Symantec, they're pretty sure about this one, and Cisco, less certain, but signs point toward San Jose. Symantec, of course, did purchase Bluecoat, and industry observers continue to believe that acquisition an important one, especially in its implications for the cloud access security market. And finally, our day's summary of the news concludes with a look at crime and punishment. The U.S. Department of Justice responded to convicted Silk Road boss Ross Ulbricht's appeal for a new trial by arguing his motion should be denied and that he should spend the rest of his days in jail and police sweep up a cage full of online predators around Houston, Texas. So far, none of them have offered the obvious defense. I was framed. It was, of course, Guccifer 3.0. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. Joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and heads up the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, uh, news over the weekend broke that uh, the Ethereum cryptocurrency lost about $500 million in value over the weekend after $60 million worth of digital currency was stolen from DAO, a venture capital fund. What can you tell us about Ethereum?
0: Well, Ethereum, you can think of as kind of a a second generation of Bitcoin uh, at a very high level. Uh, Bitcoin, we know, provides the blockchain, which is a distributed mechanism for keeping track and keeping a record of all the transactions in uh, the system. And, uh, again, at a very high level, what Bitcoin allows is for people to uh, send money from one person to another, send Bitcoins from one address to another. Uh, Ethereum takes that to another level. What Ethereum does is it allows uh, essentially arbitrary code. Uh, to be used to define when money is transferred from one person to another, and these are the smart contracts you mentioned. So, just as a, as an example, uh, Ethereum would allow you to write a uh, contract that would transfer money conditioned on a future event. So, this is a very simple way of gambling. You could write a contract that would transfer money depending on, say, who won the NBA finals, uh, and then after that event had occurred and it was determined who won, uh, the contract itself would determine who gets the money from that from that uh, contract
1: so they set up this contract system and someone figures out a way to extract sixty million dollars from it um
0: how did this come to pass well i guess it wasn't exactly the ethereum system what it was was a uh, this thing called the dao which uh, you can think of as a distributed investment fund so again these smart contracts are very powerful and what you can imagine if you have some set of contracts set up that allowed people to put money into a fund uh, and then to collectively vote on what investments that fund should make, and then to withdraw their money uh, at any time if they wanted to, uh, and what happened here is that the system this investment fund, as it were, uh, kind of defines the the rules of the system by the code itself, whatever is allowed by the contract defining this distributed investment fund, is what's allowed in the system. And uh, a smart person, a smart hacker, came along and was able to figure out a way to write a contract that allowed them to withdraw, essentially, more money than they put in. Uh, and this caused the fund to, to lose a lot of money. They, they essentially uh, stole money from the fund. Uh, and this is now causing quite an uproar within that community. Uh, usually, we think of systems being defined by some English language description, or maybe a more formal le- a legal description uh, of what the system should do, and then you try to write your code to capture the intent of the uh, system. Uh, and in this case, as you said, the princi- the, the founders uh, of this fund had these uh, principles that the you know what was allowed within the system is defined by the code itself, and because the code allowed this attack to take place. Uh, then, by the rules of the system, it, it was okay and should be and should be allowed. Of course, it doesn't go, uh, it doesn't follow the intent of the founders of the system. And now they're trying to figure out whether, uh, whether uh, and if so, how to recover from this attack.
1: All right, we'll keep an eye on it, Jonathan Katz, as always. Uh, thanks for helping us understand it. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program?